electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Bad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Uh, if you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but also to put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. People are always asking why I like technology stocks so much. Or they want to know whether I fall in love with FANG, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Whether I've gone gaga for Microsoft. Whether I've lost my mind when I name my dearly departed rescue dog after the finest semiconductor company of our time. NVIDIA! Yet on a day like today where the Dow declined 55 points, that's a big dip 0.02%, and the Nasdaq lost 0.36%. I want to say, are you kidding me? The best tech stocks work because the companies underneath them are constantly innovating. They never stop changing, usually for the better. Just today, we saw two textbook cases, two examples. When one when NVIDIA held its yearly presentation to analysts, and the other from Microsoft. Now, this analyst meeting is typically, well, they show you some new products, right? Well, they add a raft of those. Everything from chips for autonomous cars to high-performance units that are 10 times faster than their current chips to ones that can directly challenge Intel AMD in the CPU space. But there was much, much more to it this time. I'm stunned by the boldness of what they revealed, the boldness of the new processors, named Grace after the late Rear Admiral Grace Hopper, who was a pioneer in programming. Yep, NVIDIA is directly challenging, not just Intel and AMD. I thought that was too negative a narrative, frankly, because there's much more to it. They are challenging all comers, hardware and software alike. You know what? I didn't think it was possible, but CEO Jensen Wong has outdone himself. And I say that as someone who regularly calls him the Leonardo da Vinci of our time. He does me one better. Listen to this from his analyst day. Quote, NVIDIA is a computer platform company helping to advance the work for the da Vinci's of our time in language, understanding, drug discovery, or quantum computing. He concluded by saying, NVIDIA is the instrument for your life's work. Instrument for your life's work. I know, kind of sounds a little ethereal, doesn't it? But Wong, Wong's an artist. NVIDIA's whole business. 
I say that because the company used today to pre-announce sharply better than expected numbers. As the news flow of products came out, the stock was creeping higher. But when NVIDIA raised numbers beyond even the loftiest projections, it took off, ultimately gaining more than 5% on the day. Why is this so important to me? Why did I rename my dog, formerly Everest, after this living, breathing organization that is NVIDIA? It is simple. Because this company reinvents itself every single year. Not every six years or ten years. Every year. Which is how it's become a colossus that is indeed the most valuable semiconductor company in America. Then again, after today, I hesitate really to call it a semiconductor company. That's too small. Uh, it's, it, it, these, these devices are meant to be written on and are loaded with artificial intelligence software. I was thinking that I have a call it a semi-software company, a soft semi. I don't know. Those don't do it justice. i got to come up with a whole new name, a new category for this one. But for now, you know what we're going to do? We're going to call it the GOAT. That is greatest of all time for tech. Jensen is never afraid to challenge the conventional wisdom. And right now, the conventional wisdom says that autonomous driving might be a bust. But when you consider what NVIDIA has done with an array of Chinese automakers, it's clear they haven't given up on their practical realities of what could be the holy grail for the $10 trillion auto market. Self-driving cars! When I was out there a few years ago, Jensen showed me where they were on autonomous, which he admitted was very tough to do. To see him say something was tough to do. Holy cow! Well, anyway, they did it! NVIDIA is not afraid to better their own product either. Today, following in the footsteps of the late Andy Grove, formerly Intel's fearless leader, who wrote the best business book of all time, Only the Paranoid Survive, NVIDIA crushed their current offerings with devices that are, get this, 10 times more powerful. Now, let's reduce everything to what Wall Street wants, which is better than expected numbers. I've said time and again that NVIDIA stock, well, it always looks expensive. At any given moment, it seems like it sells at a gigantic price-to-earnings multiple. It's so expensive that both analysts and institutions reject the valuation and go looking for bargains elsewhere. That is a huge mistake. NVIDIA stock looks expensive because the company almost always beats the earnings estimates and beats them handily. That means those projections are borderline irrelevant, people. The stock only turns out to be cheap in retrospect, while the value plays turn out to be more expensive than we thought, more expensive than they looked. Why? Because they missed the numbers. After this pre-announcement, the estimates will be bumped up once again, and I bet this won't be the last time. A company that says it can't meet the demand for any of its products is a company that can surprise the upside, which is how a seemingly expensive stock turns out to be. Get this. It's going to come back and haunt me? No. A value play. Of course, there's another way tech companies reinvent themselves, acquisitions. Today, Microsoft announced it's buying Nuance. That's a formerly second-rate catch-all of technologies that has worked to develop conversational artificial intelligence that can help digitize one of the most stubbornly analog segments of this entire economy, healthcare. Yes, Nuance has formed strong ties with two big electronic medical records plays, Cerner and the privately held Epic, in a major breakthrough for healthcare providers who use their services. As CEO Sadia Nadella explained to me when I asked him if this merger would benefit the patient, it's really meant, he said, to make it so doctors don't have to spend two hours doing paperwork for every hour they spend treating people. This is a $19.7 billion deal, which would be a massive amount of money to most companies. So big! that they'd expect there to be a stock component to pay for the whole thing. But for a $1.9 trillion tech titan like Microsoft? 
It's chump change. They're swimming in cash with more than $130 billion in the kitty. Still, when, when Nadell came on Squawk on the Street, he told us his acquisition could ultimately double Microsoft's total addressable market, which is pretty remarkable when you consider the size of the markets they already competed. Once again, a tech stock that looked pricey because it was trading at roughly 35 times earnings suddenly seems a lot cheaper to me. These kinds of moves, they, they, they simply aren't that unusual in the tech world, although they are in other markets. Sometimes these com- companies are making far less money than they could be. Hey, look, the other day a coworker of mine asked me how much Facebook makes from WhatsApp. I said it's free. They haven't even begun to monetize it. I feel the same way about Alphabet, which can do so much more with YouTube. Apple's inventing by the day, even if so many analysts continue to warn us that it'll miss the numbers because it's heavy reliance on smartphones. I think they're wrong. As for Amazon, do you really want to bet against these guys when every major company I talk to is proud to be affiliated with Amazon Web Services in some way? It's always funny. They always work it into the presentations. These reinventions are all part of what happens when a tech company puts out what's been on the drawing board for years. I have to wonder why people in the end were so astonished by what NVIDIA unveiled today. What did they think would happen at the company's analyst day? Did they expect incremental changes to the lineup? Maybe a better Ethereum miner? Hey, by the way, they did actually augment their crypto mining business, something that should help drive the stock tomorrow when the analysts suss out the highlights of today's meeting. Did they think that one would even merely announce some nebulous plans to possibly go head-to-head with Intel many years down the road? Well, that's not NVIDIA, that's not Jensen. And that's, that's why when you invest in tech, you're betting on a company's future vision. And many companies outside of the world of tech don't have one. The bottom line, nobody in the world has a vision like Jensen Wong. So NVIDIA, the stock, lives on, even though it pole vaulted $32 today. I think it will end up looking cheap a year from now, based on what the company's actually going to earn, which will most likely be a lot more than predicted. Let's take some calls. I'm going. I'm going to Brad in Kentucky. Brad. Hey Jim, how are you doing? Brad, I am doing well. Yes, how about sir. you, Bradley? Good deal. I'm doing well. Hit me. So uh, here's my question. Uh, sure. Nugget Online Gaming. So why does it seem to be lagging behind the uh, sports betting and gaming sector? Uh, it looks to have a have proven leadership with Tillman Fertitta in charge, and it has more exposure to iGaming, which looks like it will be more profitable than sports betting alone. Uh, I'm in your camp, my friend. Brad, I'm su- surprised at the decline. I think that there's just this is all part of the smackdown of the SPACs. But I think you are on to something. And man, Tillman, he'd be the real deal. All right, look. Look at NVIDIA. Just look at what it's going on. Um, NVIDIA, my dog. All right, well, NVIDIA lives on with Jensen. The best tech stocks work because the companies are constantly innovating, like NVIDIA. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Honeywell and Boeing, well, they gave you some mixed messages in the last Friday's session. So could one of these industrials bring more power to your portfolio? Hmm, I'm giving you my take. Then the pandemic put a focus on the differences between big and small in business. But in a post-vaccine world, who will prevail? I'm taking a closer look at the space. And Saturday Night Live posed the question, what the heck is an NFT? So I'm checking in with a new private player that wants to shake up the NFT market with a fresh perspective. My suggestion, stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last Friday, we got a real Dickensian moment, a tale of two industrials. It was the best of times for Honeywell, up more than 3% to a new all-time high, the best performing the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It was the worst of times for Boeing, down about $3, the third worst performer in the Dow. You rarely see these two stocks headed in opposite directions. These two aerospace plays, well, let's just leave them as aerospace for now, are, let's just say they're different kinds of industrials that have spent the last six months roaring. In fact, I like them so much that we own both these stocks for my charitable trust, which you can follow by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. We've got a 42% gain in Boeing and a 47% gain in Honeywell. Hey, that talk about trading together. So what the heck happened on Friday to drive, though, in opposite directions? Honeywell got a pair of analyst pushes, an upgrade from Deutsche Bank paired with a huge price target boost from J.P. Morgan. Bye, bye, bye! Boeing, on the other hand, disclosed a new electrical issue with the 737 MAX, the formerly troubled plane that only got approval to fly again from the FAA about six months ago. Really the last thing you want to hear. Sell, sell, sell. Honestly, the fact that the stock was only down 1% on an unnerving news, I mean, I thought it'd be down about 5%. Well, it tells you everything you need to know about this one. Boeing's got too much going for its shareholders to get spooked by a bad headline. Now, I'm going to go one step further. Well, I think both stocks are buys right now. Believe it or not, I think Boeing's the superior stock over the next 6 to 12 months. Hey, 
Don't, uh, don't laugh at this. See, we're going to stick with Honeywell for the Chapel Trust, too. But even with some short-term turbulence, Boeing's perfectly positioned as the great reopening goes into full swing. I regard that today's decline on some negative sell-side research about corporate governments as a non-issue, too. Down three bucks, well, let's just say... Bye, bye, bye! Let me walk you through Friday's action to explain what makes Honeywell so terrific and why Boeing's even better. We're going to start with Honeywell, which is an industrial powerhouse with exposure to aerospace, climate controls, specialty chemicals, safety technology, automation equipment, and healthcare. Last year was an ugly time for the industrials, with COVID shutting down vast swaths of the global economy, especially air travel. Most of Honeywell's business got hammered, with one big exception, their safety and productivity division, which came out of 2020 with a growth rate of nearly 30%. Makes sense. This is the division where they make personal protective equipment, PPE. They're the ones who collaborated with Will I Am on the Supermask we highlighted just last week as part of a new push into high-end healthcare. They've also got a ton of, uh, of e-commerce exposure thanks to this amazing warehouse division they've got, which automates solutions right on the factory floor, pretty much any any warehouse. Now, though, the rest of the company is making a phenomenal turnaround, courtesy of the Great Reopening. Honeywell's climate control business is roaring as companies prepare to welcome their employees back to work by investing in better heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems. That's called HVAC. That's the best way to reduce greenhouse gases while also cutting exposure to COVID. The aerospace division's on a roll as the airlines start placing big orders again to prepare for a boom in air travel. Finally, Honeywell's specialty chemical biz, it has a ton of exposure to the energy markets, which, as we know, are recovering pretty nicely. And that's why the stock's now up 29% from the end of 2019, before anyone had heard of the novel coronavirus. However, after a huge run last fall, Honeywell spent the last few months trading sideways. Unbelievable. Before Friday's rally, do you know it had been one of the worst performing industrials for 2021? Sobering. Which brings us to last week's analyst action. Last Thursday, uh, Nicole de Blaise at Deutsche Bank upgraded the stock from hold to buy. She thinks Honeywell's recent underperformance is ridiculous, given that this is a best-of-breed industrial with terrific exposure to a rapidly expanding economy. Plus, she points out that Honeywell could have $21 billion of cash firepower that it can use for acquisitions or buybacks over the next three years, potentially giving the earnings a 20% boost. That alone is incredibly compelling. Then, the very next day, the brilliant Steve Tusa, J.P. Morgan, published an extraordinarily bullish note paddling the table on his overweight rating and raising his price target from $200 to $250. That's a huge boost. He called Honeywell the best mega cap setup in 20 years, which is unbelievable praise from the laurel stingy analyst. Tusa explains that, quote, the fundamental setup for Honeywell is as good as it gets cyclically for the next three to four years, end quote. He thinks the earnings could rise at 15 to 20 percent compound annual growth rate. That's extraordinary. Something that no mega cap industrials managed to pull off since GE in the late 90s. And this time it would do it without the smoke and mirrors. In addition, to, beyond the earnings growth, Tusa expects Honeywell to benefit from a what's called a revaluation higher. The stock's currently trading like an average industrial, but he says it deserves a best-of-breed multiple. I think it's a software company, a healthcare company. I think he's dead right. But as much as I like Honeywell, I got to tell you, for the moment, guess what? I actually think Boeing, the stock, may be an even better buy over the next 12 months, despite the new 737 MAX hiccup we found out about Friday. This plane only got permission to fly again in November after being grounded for a year and a half following a pair of horrific crashes. Now, though, 
we find out that Boeing's recommended that its customers ground a particular batch of these jets, 90 of them total, because of an electrical issue. All right, I found it discouraging when I heard about it Friday morning, uh, and it's no wonder that the stock sold off a bit. It's giving people flashbacks to 2019 when problems with the 737 MAX crushed the stock. Boeing's trying to rehabilitate its image, so they have to take even the most minor issues very seriously. A lot of people saw this and decided to sell first and ask questions later. No, I think that's completely wrong. <laughs> However, when you actually drill down, this is not a reason to sell Boeing. In fact, it's kind of a borderline non-issue. Sure, 90 of their planes had to be grounded until the problem gets fixed. But Boeing says the repairs will take hours or at the most a few days. It's nothing like the kind of serious structural flaws that got every 737 MAX grounded for over a year. And it certainly isn't enough to derail this incredible comeback story. Remember, this small issue aside, the 737 MAX really is back. See, this used to be Boeing's most popular plane, and it got recertified right as the airlines were getting ready to start placing orders again in anticipation of the great reopening. And that's why we own this one for the charitable trust. And so far, our thesis is playing out as expected. Now, if you look at Stiefel's monthly survey of air travel intentions, demand is almost back to its, this is astounding, pre-COVID baseline. We're already seeing the airlines start to place big orders, including for the MAX. Last month, United Airlines, which is fixing up its balance sheet, ordered 25 of them and moved up delivery for several dozen others they previously purchased. Sounds like the plane's doing pretty well. But wait a second, a week later, we got Boeing's February orders. Even after the impact of cancellations, they sold 31 planes, their first month of positive sales since November of 2019. You know what I think? The inflection point, it is here. Even better, two weeks ago, Southwest Airlines, which is probably one of the savviest of all with a great balance sheet, uh, well, they announced that they're sticking with the Max. I thought they might go to Airbus. And they ordered 100 planes with options to buy 155 more. The next day, Alaska Air, savvy operator, ordered 27 of them, along with 15 options. No wonder Boeing stock has been able to rally from 144 in late October to nearly $250 right now, even as it pulled back nearly 30 bucks from last month's highs. I think it's got a lot of room to run, though. I think you take out that high because the airlines need more capacity, and that means they have to order from either Boeing or Airbus. With interest rates so low, they can easily buy those planes with borrowed money. This is nirvana for the stock of Boeing. The bottom line, oh, Honeywell is doing great. I got to say, right now, it is definitely a better company. But when it comes to stocks, and remember, those are two different things, I think this is Boeing's time to shine thanks to the great reopening. And you got to use this pullback as a buying opportunity. Buy, 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 Much more man money ahead. I'm digging into a question we keep coming back to since the beginning of the pandemic. Which of the restaurants have staying power and what businesses are here to stay? I'm helping you navigate the space. Then eyeing the recent boom in digital collectibles like a lot of other people, don't miss my Susan with the founders of an NFT startup who will explain it all. It's called Recur. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with... You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It's finally happening. The last man standing scenario is here. After a year of carnage, big businesses with deep pockets are triumphing over their smaller competitors who didn't make it. Fact of life. Today, Chipotle caught multiple price target boosts and an upgrade. The estimates are flying upward with incredible speed. Raymond James, the firm that upgraded the stock, believes the company could earn $5.52 per share in the quarter. Do you know much higher than the $4.82 consensus? That explains why the stock is doing well. And I think even that number could prove to be too low. Why? Because we're starting to realize that the 80,000-odd restaurants that have closed simply, well, they're not going to come back. No. So the last men standing are reigning supreme. Remember, Chipotle is the most digitized of the restaurants. I've been pounding the table on this stock ever since it became clear that they had, an, they had enough takeout and delivery business to offset what they lost from in-person dining. Although we've loved the stock for more than 1,100 points if you look back at the other episodes. With the great reopening, I think we'll discover that Chipotle's taken a great deal of market share during the pandemic. The stock could have an incredible run here, even after this jaunt to $1,539, up eight bucks after being up much more earlier in the day. Because consumers saved so much money over the past year. Get this. Americans might have two trillion, that's right, T, trillion in disposable income here. Meaning it's a huge windfall one of the restaurants that managed to hang on for any of them. Our balance sheets, the American person's balance sheets, have never been more liquid. Uh, it, which is why you keep hearing talk of a roaring 20s boom when we're all vaccinated. As the Prussian Gene Lee, the CEO of Darden, recently pointed out, once people get vaccinated, quote, the first thing they do is go out to a restaurant, end quote. Darden plunged headfirst into the digital age after the last 12 months, and it, too, will be taking share from the dead restaurant cohort. The parent of Olive Garden has flexed its muscles and used its considerable cash flow to pull away from the pack. Bye, bye, bye. As the owner of a couple of restaurants, I can tell you that companies like Darden and Chipotle are now taking share from empty storefronts and permanently closed rivals who couldn't afford to stay in, well, they couldn't stay in business. With all that COVID-related occupancy problems, the, the restrictions, they, I've got to tell you, there were nothing, the socially distant that just killed them. Now, look, some of these restaurants are going to be mothballed for when there is no social distance. But even with lots of help from the federal government, very few mom and pop outfits could make it through to the promised land. Plus, the requirements for getting funds in that second round of the Paycheck Protection Program, well, they were so complicated that many small businesses didn't even bother to try, even as the government really did try its best to, to save them. No. In fact, I'd argue that the pandemic has lasted just long enough to wipe out the little guys, leaving the larger players with the run of the joint. Think Cheesecake Factory, think Yum Brands, think Texas Roadhouse, all of which are now starting to do incredibly well, just as their stocks forecasted months ago. Bye, bye, bye! I also expect Starbucks to report much better numbers for the same reason. So many corner coffee shops didn't make it, which means the estimates should prove to be way too low. Plus, Starbucks has been thoroughly digitized, especially takeout. It doesn't hurt that they brought in Kevin Johnson, a tech guy from Juniper Networks, as CEO, not long before the pandemic hit. 
Talk about foresight. This stock's moved. I wish it would take a breather. But if breathers, well, let's just say, if estimates turn out to be too low, then the breather will turn out to be the time to buy. Now, the real question is, will the move have staying power as we lap the beginning of the pandemic? For example, what happens to the essential stores after we annualize the crazed pantry stocking from March of last year? Won't we see a big year-over-year drop-off? Not so fast. Last week, Costco released its March numbers. They released monthly numbers. And, well, i got to tell you something. They delivered a 17% same-store sales growth, and that is just extraordinary. Okay, so it was 11% if you take out gasoline. That's still amazing. Almost all departments were stellar. Now, if you go back to the last quarterly conference call, not the monthly, but the last quarterly conference call, Costco saw some incredible gains. Food and sundries up high single digits. Liquor, frozen foods, coolers, and hard lines up 20%. Soft lines up 20%. And fresh foods up low 20s. Money managers took one look at these blowout numbers. And they declared that this was Costco's last good quarter. They figured the comparisons are going to get so much more difficult once the company lapped one of its best months ever. They figured it was over for Costco. So March 2021 was supposed to be disappointing. But you know what? They got it wrong. It turned out to be fantastic. Because Wall Street's underestimating the last man standing effect. I think the March sales numbers should have ignited the stock much more than they did. It's kind of shocking, actually. Um, Because those were proof that customers sampled Costco at... By the way, the samples right now aren't available. Oh, they sampled co- uh, Costco, and then they stuck with Costco. It doesn't hurt that they also had some very strong executive membership signups. Oh, I love that stream of income. Now, if you listen to the last conference call, you might have seen this coming. As the terrific CFO, Rich Galani, and this guy is such a genius. He explained, quote, in some ways, some of the stickiness, unfortunately, relates to certain aspects of retail that have been closed for good, end quote. Yeah, when they're closed for good, by the way, they don't rise from the dead. This isn't some zombie movie. If anything, it's like Last Man Standing. The underrated Bruce Willis Western, second best remake of Yojimbo, which is a high praise considering that the first remake was a fistful of dollars. What matters, though, is that Costco is still growing like crazy, even compared to a year ago when everyone was desperately stocking up on toilet paper and canned soups. The difference? A year ago, Costco had a lot more competition. The stock is still down 3% for the year. I regard that as an absurdity. Uh, I, I think it'll be rectified as the numbers prove the estimates too, were way too low. I think that means, you know, here's one that a lot of people don't agree with, but I think it's going to be wrong. I think that Costco, the analog, should be a major upside surprise for Amazon. Costco is still bulking up with e-commerce. It's still nowhere near the colossus that is Amazon. But they're, they're comparable in that they both have huge subscription businesses. They picked up tons of new customers who decide to stick with them even as the world goes back to normal. As I see it, you can pretty much buy Amazon buy, safely buy, buy, buy. right here, right now, tomorrow morning especially after that big victory in Alabama where workers voted against forming a union. Now, I do have a soft spot for organized labor. been a union member myself twice. But there's no denying it's good news for shareholders. While Amazon's rallied 10% over the past couple of, years, uh, couple of weeks, I'm sorry, it's not getting nearly enough credit. Very few people are extrapolating from Costco's same-store sales. So I think the opportunity could be enormous. In fact, I think I, 
I think I may be the only person extrapolating. Hey, let me give you one more last standing situation, last minute, of which you might like if you've watched this show for a long time and it's Planet Fitness. The number of gym club closings over the last year is simply staggering. Here you have a case where customers stayed away. The numbers remain not so hot, actually. But I bet Planet Fitness sees a big comeback as the country gets vaccinated. Meanwhile, healthy, you know, let's say the wealthy, well, they're going to keep buying expensive equipment from Peloton if they're fake. That's, by the way, their favorite high-end business. Uh, and that's because their high-end studio didn't make it. That's why people want to spend a fortune on those bikes. And, by the way, on their new treadmills. That said, even though the stocks come down a great deal from the high, Peloton's market cap of $35 billion, it bothers me, even as much as I like the product. Oh, let's put it all together. As a small business owner, I've seen firsthand how the pandemic has ravaged taverns, ravaged restaurants, inns, you name it. While it's stunning how fast the vaccines were developed, the devastation has been awful. I'm focusing on the business side, but obviously the most horrendous part of this is the human cost. 575,000 deaths and millions of COVID survivors with long-term health complications. Now, our government really did drop the ball when it comes to saving lives. But we did a much better job of saving livelihoods. The Federal Reserve did the right thing when they slashed interest rates. The Treasury Department Congress did the right thing with a $2 trillion bailout a year ago and another $2 trillion a month ago. And, of course, we got these vaccines incredibly fast. Without them, would restaurant chains like Darden or Yum! Brands collapse the way their stocks indicated they would? Maybe, but we never found out, thanks to Moderna, Pfizer, and J&J. What we did find out, though, is that many small businesses didn't have the wherewithal, the scale, of the, or the technology to survive. The bottom line, now that tens of thousands of small businesses have so sadly and unfortunately gone under, their larger rivals are indeed, at last, the last man standing, which means they're going to make a fortune as the country reopens because there's no one left to challenge them. There's much more mad money ahead, including, well, forget the Louvre. That's a, you know, L-O-U-V-R-E, I'm from Philly. And, you know, art has been digitized. I'm talking to a private player that's leading the charge in making NFTs more accessible to the public. Then Wall Street is terrified that the Fed to start tightening. But could it actually prove to be a buying opportunity if it ever happens? I'll make sure you're ready for when that day comes. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Lately, we've been hearing a lot about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. It's a new category of digital assets, kind of like a mashup between cryptocurrency and the art world. They can be found in any kind of digital file, a picture, a video with a serial number that verifies its authenticity. Even the NBA is getting in on the action, selling video highlights as NFTs. Okay, call me a little skeptical of this whole concept, but there's no denying that they're written red hot. So tonight we're going off the tape with an NFT startup called Recur. This is a very early stage company. This raised $5 million of seed funding by some pretty famous people. And it designs branded experiences, allowing fans to buy and trade NFTs. Recur is trying to introduce some new angles here, developing NFTs for big global brands with a system that lets the original creators continue to get paid recurring royalties. You know what? I got to find out more about this world. Maybe we're missing something big. Maybe we can. Let's find out what the hell's going on here. Yeah, so we're going to go to Recur's co-founders and co-CEOs. That's uh, Zach Brush and Trevor George to learn more about this new industry. Gentlemen, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. How you doing? All right, let's get. 
Let's get started because I you know, look, I'm a little skeptic, but I myself admit to bidding on some NFTs. We'll get to that in a moment. First, I, I know, Zach, you are an expert in the crypto industry. So the first thing you need to tell us is why is this uh, crypto? Why can't it be dollars? And what does it mean that it's crypto? Yeah, so obviously dollars have been around forever and crypto is this big new thing that everyone wants to talk about. But NFT is a non-fungible token. Non-fungible means unique. Token's a digital asset. And then we can put the data on the blockchain so it's there forever. Uh, you can prove ownership, you can track it, traceability, all these different things. And, and that's super important. And you can know that it's unique forever. Well, George, help me here because you're a digital licensing expert. Why? Uh, what is the limit of NFT? For instance, I bid on a cover from Time magazine. It was a 1966 cover which had, is God dead? And I did it. Uh, I lost ultimately to someone who paid $100,000 for the NFT. And yet when I found, the more I dug, even though I did bid for it, uh, I realized that, well, it doesn't get me anything. It's just kind of something. I don't even get to hang it on the wall. So can you explain to me, Trevor, what the attraction is to owning an NFT? Jim, you should have you should have bet a little more than 100 bucks or, or, or $100,000. You got you to reach <laughs> into your pockets. Um, but and, and NFTs can be anything digital, anything digitized, whether that's a movie clip, uh, a, a piece of audio file, a digitized piece of art, um, or even a character. Um, and it, it, it's, it's really endless. I mean, a, a licensed brand, you know, can essentially mint or release anything that's collectible. Today, the utility is the value of the NFT. So if I buy it for 100000 could it then be worth a million dollars? But in the future, the utility could extend... Uh, into a game. Someone could bring the NFT into a game. They can bring it into apps on their phone and show their friends. They can trade it in, you know, the Instagram of NFTs and so on and so forth. So the utility is building out. This is a very new space. All right. So, Trevor, uh, what does Recur have to do with this utility? Because that makes a ton of sense to me. It makes me feel like I should have bid over 100000 but my wife wanted to kill me that I even bid 20000 Zach, why don't you talk to the uh, chain agnostic approach that we're taking and, and how NFTs on our platform can move freely across the crypto universe? Sure. So recurs chain agnostic, meaning that we can mint on various different chains. And what this does, is it allows the brands to have the widest range of distribution. So all of a sudden, as Trevor mentioned, you might have a wearable, a piece of art, a clip. You can then take it and use it in a different application, whether it be a game, maybe a financial application, other applications, and so on and so forth. Today, the industry is still so nascent, so there's a lot of speculation. But our view is that NFTs will be another extension for brands to, communi to communicate with their larger audiences and communities. As we've seen over the past handful of years, people keep trying to own the community. NFTs allow for that not only today, but in the future. You can capture almost generational communities, right? Let's say an NFT, a digital asset, is tied to a physical asset in the future. You can then continue to talk to that user. So we think NFTs become this very powerful tool to continue to communicate with a, an audience or a, a follower of a brand. Okay, so Zach, tell me, in the last few weeks, people say that this market has taken a big hit. Uh, is it the market or is just certain ends of NFTs and there are others that are holding up? Well, sure. Like any new asset class, there's going to be the ebbs and flows. And we've seen that through crypto. But that's speculative. 
What we're doing at Recur, we're looking right through that and trying to appeal to the everyday user so that an everyday you know, audience or, or a lover of a brand could, could use an asset and take it with them wherever. So yes, we are, we are going to see a, a, a bust and there's going to be a lot of crashes and you know, all sorts of platforms might not make it. But from that, we'll see a big rise. And, and we feel at Recur and, and in general that NFTs are here to stay and will be a, a massive, massive industry in the future. Well, I got to give you guys credit. I think that there is something here. People didn't believe in Bitcoin. Uh, and those who didn't believe in Bitcoin left by the wayside. I want to say that I think that maybe this is something we got to pay closer attention to. We got Coinbase, by the way, on Wednesday. And I want to thank Zach Brush and Trevor George, co-founders and co-CEOs of Recur, for bringing this to our attention because maybe this should be part of a portfolio. And man, money's back into the brain. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time for The Lightning Round. Kramer's bad buddy. Well, what is that about? Well, that's about... You say the name of stock, I'll tell you whether to buy or sell it. And just to be clear, I do not know the floors or the stock prices ahead of time. My staff fair square for the money. You know, plan to sell. And then the light round is over. Let's start. Oh, are you ready, Ski Daddy? Let's start with Patricia from Illinois. Patricia! Hi, Jim. Big fan. Thanks for the great information. Wanted to know how you feel about Cisco Systems. Cisco voted number one by Fortune's place to work. I think Cisco's going higher. I think that they finally got to the enterprise, and it's going to just roar. Andrew in Texas. Andrew. Hey, Mr. Jim. This I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm from uh, Dallas, Texas, and I've been listening to you since I was 10 years old. But, of course, back in the day, I thought you were just like a bald, angry guy on TV. <laughs> well, that's true. But I had, I had, a, but I had a question about AT&T stock. Well, I got to tell you, I got an answer. Mark in Virginia, Mark. Uh-uh, we got to take Mark in Virginia. I'm not done. Uh, Jim. Hey, Jim, Speak as the me. country reopens, people might want to go out and enjoy a big, juicy steak. I've never heard the chill man comment on this reopening play. What do you think of the ribeyes at Ruth's Hospitality Group, R-U-T-H? I think you got horse sense, my friend, and I'd be a buyer. I think it's one of the survivors. I think it moves. All right, let's go to David in South Dakota. David. Howdy, Mr. Kramer. I have a quick question for you. I was wondering what you think about sure, the Sure, and I got a quick answer. Yeah, I, I don't like paper board on the time, but I think it's too, too commodity, my friend. I'm not a, uh, uh, no, no game. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, you say you gotcha. so many times, I can't thank you enough. Uh, the, wow, thank you. That's uh, nice. That's nice. That's the company that I'm looking at is Fuel Cell. It's an energy. No, no, we're going to stay away. We're going to stay away. Too speculative at this moment. There are other better fish to fry in that neighborhood. And that, ladies of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, if the Fed tightens, stay loose. Kramer gives you the tools to do great with any rate. Next. 
take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. when the Federal Reserve finally gets around to raising interest rates. Now, I've been through a lot of tightening cycles, and it's not a pretty sight often. It's just, well, at least the first few days. Now, I don't care about those first few days. It's the narrative over rate increases that has me fretting. You see, historically, almost all rate hikes are accompanied by a catch-all terminology. Get used to hearing soft landing versus hard landing. Now, I know Fed Chief Jay Powell has repeatedly vowed not to tighten anytime soon. Hey, listen, he just said it again last night on 60 Minutes. But that's a radical break with his predecessors. And there's a huge group of investors who believe he'll be forced to engineer a slowdown to stamp out inflation. These rate hike bloviators liken the economy to an airplane. The soft landing thesis is the Fed can pile to slow down without crashing the economy. Well, the hard landing thesis, a rate hike starts the process towards a recession. So get out now before the plane crashes. Now, I liken it this way. The soft landing cohort is trying to keep you in the stock market. The hard landing cohort is trying to scare you away. The latter are the worst kind of commentators, people. The hard landing crew always point to some difficult tightening cycle from the past, like the one that preceded the Great Recession. Then use that to make a case that it's time to sell and sell now. Given that we've had a huge run, you can expect their sell calls to resonate. Oh, and they'll be on every show. Now, look, their arguments, guess what? They're totally fraudulent. Look at the 2000s. The first rate hike in that tightening cycle, June 30th of 2004, meant nothing at all to the stock market, nor did the second, or the third, or the fourth. I can go on for 13 more rate hikes before you find the true stock market impact, because Fed Chief Ben Bernanke kept raising and raising and raising in lockstep cool the overheated housing market. In retrospect, it was the wrong tool for the job. We just needed more stringent mortgage requirements, admittedly something that's beyond the Fed's purview. But Congress could have done it. My point, though, is that the 2004 to 2006 cycle of rate hikes did nothing to the market until it was too late and the trap had been laid. In fact, it took another year after the final hike before stocks really started falling apart. Most tightening cycles are really like that. There's so much sturm and drang about them, in part because the media gives way too much credence to bearish money managers, many of whom need the market to go down. Why? Because they're underinvested. I know this is a novel idea, but rather than fretting about how rate hikes could wreck the stock market, I got something, I, something you ought to do. Hey, maybe we ought to ask ourselves uh, how often the beginning of a tightening cycle was a good time to... Bye, bye, bye! Yeah, to buy stocks, not sell them. When Bernanke started raising rates in 2004, that was way too early to sell. You could have waited two years and still gotten out way before the peak. Of course, there are outliers. I keep highlighting to you Janet Yellen's quarter point hike on December 17, 2015, which was a total bone crusher. Dow stood at 17,495 when she put through that increase because of nebulous worries about inflation, thinking the economy was strong. But inflation did turn out to be totally transitory. Hey, that's the term that Powell uses now. Oil prices collapsed and the Dow plummeted down to 15,503 
on February 11th. I remember it was the day after my birthday before it hit the bottom. Yellen judged that the market and the economy were prepared for the hike. But when commodities collapsed, stock traders assumed we were going into a disastrous new long tightening cycle. So the selling was endless until Yellen hinted not to worry about additional hikes. Still, this is the rate increase that stands out to me as the worst case scenario that hammers the market right off the bat. But I think December 2015 is an outlier. And even then, that sell-off turned out to be a fabulous buying opportunity for those thinking longer term. I mean, think about it. Think about how much we went up. Look, sooner or later, there will come a day when Jay Powell decides it is indeed time to tighten. Either because the inflation stops being transitory or we finally beat COVID and get a much, much better job market. Something he reiterated last night of 60 Minutes. Are we near that moment? Not yet. I don't think Powell's going to take back the things he said just last week. He's also learned a lot from his predecessors, not to mention his own mistakes. Powell knows there's a right way and a wrong way to raise interest rates. The right way is not just to stick your finger in the air and say things are fine. Now, he made that mistake in late 2018 and we had a nasty sell-off. But even then, it wasn't after the reverse rate hike. The market didn't go haywire until Powell promised many more rate hikes, arguing that the Fed would need to overshoot to stamp out inflation... It was a disaster, and he had to walk it all back within months. <laughs> I doubt he's going to screw up like that again. So if you want to sell when the Fed starts tightening, and it could be a while before that happens, all I can say is that history says you are making a big mistake, and buying might be the right thing to do. Now, I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.